be full of fright. I grant that I was with the devil below in his great big fiery hall, where the devil was giving a ball. I checked my coat and hat and started gazing at the merry crowd who came to witness the show, and I must confess to you, there were many there I knew. Welcome to The Dispatchist, a friendly conversation about hell and some other stuff. This is... Ooh, I don't have a title. Uh, Yahweh and stuff. This is episode Mm. 57 of The Dispatchist, Yahweh and stuff. Mm, Lots of stuff. Yeah. I am super duper excited to get here after two years of our hell journey. We're finally at the foothills. Is it safe to say that it's going to take us a while to actually get to the Jewish afterlife in this I think, series? <laughs> I think we'll be puttering along in this zone for at least five or six episodes. It's true. And I think yeah. that may be like our penultimate or anti-penultimate episode, potentially. Isn't there a saying... Something like, if the podcasters won't go to the Jewish afterlife, the Jewish afterlife will come to the podcasters. I think we only have like 300 regular listeners right now. I don't think they'll change cosmology for us quite yet. Oh. Gotta wait to a thousand for that. I do have something that'll make them change their cosmology. I should If this afterlife is rocking, don't bother knocking. Everybody wants to go to the rocking afterlife. The entire afterlife Mm -hmm. rocking. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, uh, so before we get started on our topic, did anybody bring anything to the party? I brought Fig Newtons. Oh, man, I love- Fig Newtons are my favorite. How'd you know? I, well, I was like, what's dry and dusty, like our topic? Uh-huh, yeah. uh-huh. Go sure. on. And what's on sale at H-E-B? Go on. <laughs> it's Fig Newtons. <laughs> but I guess figs, figs are fitting. Yeah, figs, exactly, from- mm-hmm. There is the suggestion that the fig is actually the apple in the Garden of Eden. Right, because Adam and Eve wore fig leaves to to cover their junk. They didn't wear apple leaves. (laughs) Right, right, right. The fig was the only plant that wasn't... The fig was the only... Was the plant that felt the most guilty, so it shared its leaves with them. (laughs) It's a plant that had deep-rooted shame. Please take my leaves. But here's a question. I am so ashamed. So... The, fig, the the whole like fig leaf thing has everything to do with art history. It has nothing to do with actual Adam and Eve wearing actual fig leaves. It was because people are afraid of nakedity. But it might have something to do with Asherah. Oh, yes. It might have something to do with Asherah. Is sure. it because fig leaves were easier to draw than apple leaves and artists were very difficult back then? No, they're just like a foot wide. Mm-hmm. They're huge. So they're better. What better way to cover your junk? Yeah, I don't think I've ever seen a fig leaf in real life. There's one at the corner near the mailbox. Is it covering someone's junk? <laughs> I mean, she has a messy backyard, but well, um... <laughs> <laughs> and scene. Um, do you want to hear what I brought? Now that we've talked about, I, I actually yes. fig newtons are legit my favorite cookie. I didn't know if you knew that. I know, right? I know it's weird, but I love, love, and I never buy them. So I think that's one of those things, too, is it's like a delicacy to me in some strange way, because I can only eat them when they're they're free and somebody has given them to me. So, okay, well. Is there a word for the texture of a Fig Newton? It's not slimy. It's not chalky. It's like somewhere between slimy and chalky. It's It's fruit and cake. 
Yeah, it's fruit and cake. It's like a... Squidgy. Squidgy. Yeah. Squidgy is good. So, do you like the other flavors? Like, is it the fig flavor you like or the textural fruit and cake that you like? I like, like, the raspberry Newtons and the blueberry ones. I think it's the... I think I pretend it's pie. (laughs) But it's cake. Right. Mm Mm-hmm. Yes. Hmm. And your point is? On his head. On top of my head. Ah, zing! So do you want to know what I brought to the party? What did you brought to the party? I brought a cocktail called the Burning Bush. And there's a lot of Burning Bush cocktails out there, but I went for the Irish one. The Irish Burning Bush. An Irish Burning Bush. And you'll figure out why it's called Burning Bush here in a second once I actually call up the recipe for it. So the appeal to this also is that it tastes like alcoholic Theraflu. So it's really good if you have a cold. Ew. <laughs> Wait, isn't Theraflu already alcoholic? No. Oh. Oh, no. No, NyQuil. I think NyQuil is. But Theraflu, I don't think it's alcoholic. It just has a lot of things that make you sleepy. So a burning bush. Is. Is. Uh, this can't be right. <laughs> Maybe it is. The ingredients, it says 37 and a half milliliters of Bushmills Irish whiskey. How much would 37 and a half milliliters be? That seems like a lot. 50 is an ounce. Okay. So it's not quite an ounce. That just so seems like a hell of a lot to me. It's three quarters of an ounce. Okay. So What's that's 50 not divided by 0.75. Blink. Blink. Wait, how many blink. milliliters? 37 and a half milliliters. Which is half of 75. Okay, so, so half three an quarters of an ounce of rum. Okay, okay, that's fine. It just seemed like a lot. Cool um, math. So Bushmills whiskey, hmm. twenty-five milliliters honey, seventy-five milliliters hot water, and a lemon wedge. Hmm. So you put the lemon wedge in the Irish coffee glass, pour whiskey and honey over the lemon, and fill with water. So it's yeah, sort of so a, it's kind of like a hot toddy. Yeah, I was gonna yeah. say it's this is like good cold mm-hmm. weather stuff. Yep, yep, yep. Theraflu, like licorice Theraflu. There's some other ones that involve tequila and Tabasco, but I felt ah. like this was way more appropriate. Yeah, that one sounds quite nice mm-hmm, mm-hmm. on a on a chilled evening. Yep, 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 yep. And Bushmills uh, is Bushmills is pretty good. It's not my favorite Irish whiskey, but it's pretty good. Goes with the name. Oh, because it's Burning Bush. Oh! oh, I was waiting for it. Huh. Thanks for spoon feeding <laughs> it to me. <laughs> what i'm here for well i brought some entertainment okay. yay being driven into the mouth of the gargantuan three-headed bat-winged lucifer inside our limbs will be cut off by flies feet devoured by venomous scorpion horned vultures and our hair will be swallowed by flame-eyed wide-headed stinking dogs so the um all dogs you you switch to a, a different uh tense there or voice in that one it wasn't merely descriptive it was a pr- it was prescriptive like telling us what we're going to encounter as a tour guide yes yes is this new there was the land well it was this this particular result Uh uh-huh had a a sub clause okay yeah and it was it yeah and i I had to kind of reinterpret just a little bit to make it grammatically sensible there you go just like like real grammar right i kind of like that it's uh it it is described instead of just merely descriptive it's active Hmm. yes Yes. Mm-hmm. Do we have any hell news for the week? 
Yes, and it is more uh, resonant of hell on earth. Mm. It is the uh, the son of he who shall not be named is now pushing a Patriots Bible called We the People Bible. Oh, Borg. It is for <laughs> It's like, well, I just threw up in my mouth a little bit. But I'm, Yeah, I'm not in love. So because because America, like we're, you know, America is, is ceasing to be a Christian country, which, spoiler, never was a Christian country. Founders were not Christian. We need to get back to that. So it is a Bible that includes uh, the Constitution. Uh-huh. Oh, first it's a King James Bible. And uh-huh. it's a red line Bible. Uh-huh. So all of the, you know, words that God uh, or Jesus, whoever, actually said are in red mm-hmm. um, because that's how you want your, you know, that that's legit. And right, right. So Constitution, Declaration of Independence, and the Pledge of Allegiance. Oh, God. Are all part of this Bible. I mean, under God. And <laughs> you can get gift bundles. But I, sh- but I shan't. <laughs> and also the, the binding, the, the little uh, leatherette cover for it has the, whatever the, I don't know. I don't even know how to, dis- like, the stupid flag that's Dis- uh, It's distressed. Yeah. Yeah. In black and, you know, the kind of we the people font. And you can get bundles with challenge coins because challenge coins also, um, you know, money, money, <laughs> gold coins are are really uh, a thing that Jesus really, really enjoys. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. If you don't have a Jesus coin in your pocket right now, you're not really trying that hard. Well, it has an eagle on it. <gasps> mm-hmm. Well, that's in the Bible. Render unto eagles what are eagles. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I think somebody needs to get smited for this. Like, this is the kind of thing that Jesus punched people in the neck for. <laughs> and it's true. I don't, I mean, where's the smiting? Well, Where's the smiting? Yeah, yeah. Uh, this is not really a very good age for smiting. Mm-hmm. It's all in the public domain, I notice. That makes it mm-hmm. much more cost efficient than uh, paying for a good translation. And the cost is sixty nine ninety nine. But you get get bundles, like I said, with the challenge coins, hats, t-shirts. Flip-flops. It's, it's a whole... It's I'm a wearing my, my King James We the People <laughs> flip-flops <laughs> on the beach. It's not even like Franklin Exchange quality, you know. Mm. Ooh, has anybody done <laughs> instead of the KJB Bible, the NFT Bible? I, I feel like <laughs> oh. maybe it's maybe it's time. <laughs> it might. I think it is time. I really do think it. You is can time. own your own verse. Mm-hmm. Ooh, I know what I want. I want my my uh, one about mine. Bowels shall sound like a harp for Moab. <laughs> Where is that one? It's, I don't know. It's my mine bowels shall sound like a harp for Moab and mine inward parts for Kirakesh. I do not remember that. Did you just make that up or is it real? It probably. No, it's quite real. It's, it's one of the verses quoted in the Principia Discordia. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. I don't know. I, I We talked about this before. I sort of wonder if we should read the Bible. <laughs> I, I oh. have. Lol, let's save it for the April 1st edition. I know, yeah, like, again, I mean... It was a long time ago, but still. Well, there's, there's, I mean, there's probably stuff I should read it again, but I want to find that old hip, I want to find that hippie Bible I had as a kid, so it's not painful. So, John, I, I have to ask, what is on your background in the chat today? 
It looks like you've got a wall of nostrils behind you. I was hoping they were boobs, but I think you're right, they're nostrils. Oh. What's the sneezing wall? It's sort of a shapeless blobby thing covered with holes. There's an article that says, uh, we found the face of God. Oh, dear. I didn't read the article, but I Uh saved the background, saved this picture for my background. I don't think I want to be made in God's image anymore. It looks like the Simpsons. Is it because of the nostrils or the boobs? Well, the flounder, the flounder, the flounder perspective. Oh, Blinky. Is a little off. Yes, <laughs> that's right. The, the three-eyed fish. You call him Blinky. Huh. I wonder what, do you know what era you're... Um, Yah- this is Yahweh, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is Yahweh. Oh, goodness gracious. Or is it L? Well, that does sort of bring us up to our topic today, which is we're in Old Testament First Temple Judaism and looking today at... Yahweh origins and the sort of Jewish history 101. I would like to institute an official policy. I think it's been our unofficial guiding light throughout the entire podcast, which is we're going to get this wrong. Yep. Yeah. yeah. No matter how hard we try. Yeah. Pinky swear. <laughs> Pinky it's swear. Be wrong. Our intentions are good. So we are no Sometimes experts. our intentions are good. I think all the time our intentions are good, right? I right-clicked a picture because it looked like boobs. That's that definitely not good intentions. Naive. <laughs> ham-fisted. Ignorant. Ign- okay, okay. I'll go with that. I also feel like we're in a position where nobody actually can get it right because we're dealing with, like, origins lost in time, mytho-history, competing fact stories. Well, I was reading a, a neat... Well, I've read, like, five books on... Canaanite and Israelite history over the last month, and I've totally lost track of where I found anything at this point. But what I'm saying that the biblical approach to Jewish history is a history that looks backwards at where we've come from to explain where we are now. Mm-hmm. So it's it's a history that evolves significantly as where we are now is kind of moving target. But it's not revisionist, or is it? Revisionist sort of has a willful tone to it, like you're trying to achieve something by revising and i don't think it's it's not agenda driven it's well sometimes it is but it's more like in the moment who are we one process i've read about in terms of how the old testament and torah were put together was that there were some original documents kind of the yahwehist and elohist stories and they were kind of compiled when the jews were in exile in egypt Babylon. Babylon. The is first this, Babylon. Is this later. The 40 years mm-hmm. exile or No, this is the maybe, but it's um after the fall of the temple in like 700ish. There was like 80 years or so of ex- of the intelligentsia kind of going into Babylonian captivity. And during that time there's a lot of soul searching and trying to decide who we were and most of the Torah was kind of compiled during that period to say, well, here's how we got to the place where we are right now. And then for like 300 years, there were regular revisions and things like that as people brought this living document with them and became an empire, became a kingdom again, lost the kingdom again, went into exile again, lost the temple again, and so on. So it's, I don't think it's revisionist so much as very regularly the writers and compilers and editors would be using this document to tell their stories. And when the documents kind of 
fell apart over time and they had to be transcribed, that was a time to renew the story and refresh it with the most recent information about who we are and where we got there. So the Babylonian exile was post-Moses and the flight from Egypt. That's fair, and you'd be hard-pressed to say when those things happened, because there's a question of if those things happened. Let's assume, because we're going to be wrong. They totally happened. Just for funsies, because it's more interesting this way (laughs) that they they did happen. They totally happened. Our Uh other policy, everything is true. Everything Everything is true. true. It's Mm -hmm. basically canon. So, in the everything is true model, Moses was probably around 1100-ish, maybe 1200-ish thereabouts. That's kind of like the best guess date, somewhere between 1300 and 1100. And you're talking BC. Yes. Mm-hmm. Just to... Just yes. To yes. Yes. Yes, yes, yes. Jewish year 2368, potentially. Oh, dear. There's another calendar I have to keep track of. Yes. So, secular year... For the, the one that I have is 1393 uh, BC, if we're going with BC or BCE. BCE. But let's go back to when, kind of when the story begins as best as we can. The first mention of, the, of Israel was in Egypt in like 1207. There was a tablet that listed a bunch of people that had been conquered and the Egyptians were triumphantly victorious over and it included the Canaanites and the Israelites and a couple of others. Mm-hmm. But before then, and this is kind of part of the story, but not really definitively an origin story. And people might want it to be. There was the Habiru people. Mm-hmm. And this was about 2000 BC to maybe 1100 BC or so. These were wandering nomadic people, frequently mercenaries, frequently slaves. There's also kind of a bucket name for a lot of different groups, which included the Hebrews and some of the people that would kind of become part of. Israel, although Israel is mostly a Canaanite thing in its origins. But the the word Hebrew kind of may be the source for the word Hebrew, but it's probably not the Hebrews. Mm-hmm. Maybe in, in kind of the cultural myth, it might be Interesting, that. because the self-myth is we were shepherds and goat herds. Like, we were a wandering tribe of peaceful people who had the Baba and the fluffy fluffies. Yeah, and certainly some of us were. But mercenaries? Mm-hmm. Question mark? Well, they were just, you know, not not landed nobles, <laughs> wandering around doing things to make ends meet and survive. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Just trying to get by, man. There's a lot of references to the Hebrew doing labor in Egypt in about 1400-ish, and maybe that's, and that was an important part of the Egyptian economy, and maybe that does kind of feed into the Moses who was, that is isn't an Egyptian name, Moses' idea of his people being in, in, enslaved in Egypt. Mm-hmm. The Hibiru might have been working around then, particularly if Moses has his origin story around 1300 or so, who knows? Right. Yeah. Yeah. So the Torah is roughly around 13. Uh, here I'm looking at this one timeline that has it at 1313 BCE or 2448 in Jewish year. And so the Torah is actually part of the Hebrew Bible. So this is one thing that I was trying to keep all the books straight as well. Well, let's not use the Hebrew dating. I get really confused. I can only okay. go PC in my head. <laughs> I know. I'm just trying to do. I'm trying to be fancy. The Torah was like Second Temple 530 to 330, where Persia gave the Jews a lot of backing to go back to Jerusalem and rebuild the temple. Okay. That was. I mean, yes. it was being compiled before then, but. Um, 
think there was the Greek period of like 332 onward where the Jews had a strong presence in Alexandria. Um, they were like like a third of the population of Alexandria was there, mm. and there was a lot of Jewish and Greek scholarship together. So around there, I think, compiled and being rewritten and drafted and consolidated, but mm-hmm. from sources that were older. And so the Jewish, the Hebrew Bible then contains the Torah, the Nevim, which is the Torah's teaching. I'm not sure if I'm saying this right. The Nevim, prophets, and Kedavim, the writings. And that's why it's called the Tanakh. It's an acronym. Oh, is that where that came from? I thought yep. it was like a real word. No, it's an acronym. See, I'm working on this. I'm going to work on my own We the People <laughs> Hebrew Bible. Oh, no. Because okay. I have about as much right to do that. <laughs> you know, <laughs> you're not wrong. You are not wrong. If you're going to profit off of something that you did no work for, yep. you might as well yep, earn yep, yep. every dollar. Mm-hmm. I'm going to find some, you know, some other Dover publications to throw in there and, you know, call <laughs> it a day. Wow. Mm-hmm. So the the kind of the tribe of Israel, ancient Israel period, is very solidly in line with the Iron Age. So we're looking like 1200, 1100 or so where you start to see the name Israel popping up in like Egyptian documents and things like that. Kind of the oldest parts of the stories. Even in the like the biblical mythology, Abraham, the kind of founder of this nation, came out of Canaan. So the Canaanite origins are are, are right there. They're they're on the on the label. I was, <laughs> I was just gonna say that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I really liked someone's statement that the only way you can tell a Canaanite dig site from an Israelite dig site is pig <gasps> bones. Yes, I read that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and whether that was because of religious strictures or just because. On the northeast side, it was not very friendly. A big agriculture, pigriculture, is that the word? Pigriculture. <laughs> it's, it's pigriculture. Uh-huh. Right. Um, mm-hmm. Or bakericulture. Mm-hmm. What? Bakericulture. Okay, I'll buy that. Um, Swinecraft. Because <laughs> you had the furry fluffies on the other side, right? Right, right. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of, the, that's how similar they were in their roots. Have you already told us what the word Israel means or how that came about? No, I hadn't gotten there yet. Okay. But you you clearly know. No. <laughs> oh. That's what I was asking you. Because I saw it, but I just didn't, I didn't read. I feel like this is an area that maybe Jamin would want to explicate. Let me open a our... new tab. Because <laughs> I didn't, I didn't, I noticed it, but I didn't take note of it but l is in the name that's all i remember l right right mm-hmm. so this is a long time before yahweh who's kind of a latecomer into the story mm-hmm. israel is god perseveres the end okay so l is just a god like that's generic for god correct so israel was given to the name to given to jacob after he wrestles with God on the mountain, right? Because he was Jacob, and then he did the thing on the mountain, and then he slept on the rock, and then he wrestled with the God, and they're like, okay, now you're Israel, right? Okay. Mm-hmm. And perseveres, um, oh, this is a tough one, because like the concept in that region of the Levant of struggle is such a big one. Like, I struggle for my life. I struggle to conform. I struggle to do this thing, right? And we have, I think we've mentioned this before, like, other cultures where it's like, if you're at 
if you're just peacefully working, if you're just getting by, you're not living. You have to be actively working on your life. It's a struggle. You have to persevere. You have to work. Mm-hmm. And it, isn't there like there's like if you're not being persecuted, you're not living as a real missionary. That kind <laughs> of concept. Are you sure you're not just describing you? I am not being persecuted right now. <laughs> no, uh, no, you are not. You are certainly not. Like, uh, honestly, our boss at work was like, you guys need to stop gossiping. If you keep gossiping, I'm going to write you up. Oh, dear. And I'm like, you just set the back lines on fire. Like, do you understand how much we're going to be like, hee, 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 I'm gossiping now? That's persecution right there. I mean. Honestly. For, for a white guy, that's definitely persecution. Her shoes were ugly. Mm-hmm. But the word is kind of about struggle and st- struggle and strength and rulership and c- contending and prevailing. And then the word L, which is right. both kind of generic word for God, but also the word for the head of the Canaanite pantheon at the time. Uh, okay. So it's not off to say Israel is kind of the people of L. Mm-hmm. Those who are working towards the life of L. Yeah. Yeah, that's that seems that fits for me. Yeah. Specifically okay. not though the people of Yah, who is again a later arrival on the scene. So what we established kind of here is that these are a group within the pan- the Canaanite pantheon, a group within the Canaanite family surf- uh, followers of El, uh that's a part of their identity as they travel about the land. This kind of brings up the idea of like who invented monotheism? And I think a lot of a, a lot of internet cultural wisdom says the Egyptians did it, but wait, the Egyptians did it. Well, so theoretically, the Egyptians did have one of the first monotheistic things happening. That's the the reign of Akt, Akt, mm, that's the reign I, of yeah Akin, Akhenaten Akhenaten yeah Akhenaten. that was like fifteen years and then it stopped. He kind of tried to say. Hey, Aten is the main god, the only god, but it didn't penetrate very deeply into the general kind of Egyptian hodgepodge religion. We kind of talked about this when we were in Egypt. Yeah. But like Isis and Anubis and the, the Thor and, you know, Thor Heyerdahl and the alligator guy, Thor, were they not- Thor Heyerdahl? De- <laughs> I'm glad somebody laughed at my joke. <laughs> Were they not deities? Like, the not the Pope, the Emperor was the Divine Emperor Sun God, and he was a deity, but were the others not deities? Were they just big people? They were deities, but Egyptians didn't use deities in quite the same way that their Greeks used deities. They were also concepts, and they were stories, and they were thought elements and religious tinker toys. But they were definitely deities, uh, hmm. just that for about 15 years, one pharaoh said, nope, this is too silly, we're going to make it just Aten over everybody. And mm-hmm. it didn't stick, it lasted about 15 years, and then the people that came after him were like, this is silly, let's go back to our polytheism, it was much more entertaining. Can I tell you my the new word I learned? I learned a lot of new words this, this week. Oh, yes. So, henotheism? That would be the belief in one god without believing that he is the god. Yes, yes, very good. And also, I'd never heard of monolatry. Yeah, I was going. I was just going to ask, what is the difference between henotheism and monolatry? Mm-hmm. I think monolatry is like late stage henotheism, 
where mm. you're believing that one god is the most important god, but there are other gods in the picture, but we just don't talk about them. Is that fair? So, uh, yeah. idol- idolatry of one god, henotheism implies god plus a court of gods, potentially. Yeah. It's like more hierarchical. Okay. Gotcha. There's been the argument stated that, do I want to say Hebrew or Israel, that the topic at hand, we weren't mon- monotheists, we were monolatrists, in which, yes, we've only got the one god, we only worship the one god, the other gods out in the rest of the world in where the heathens live, they have gods too, but we don't worship them. Is that But we to used say? to. They were all part of the mix at one time. Hmm. It seems right? like It seems like one of the things that kind of Israel identified itself by is having a much more restricted pantheon. So it was um, started with probably El and Baal and Asherah, God's or El's wife, El's mm-hmm. consort. Maybe a, a mother goddess. Maybe Baal's consort. And so it. They, Mot. Ma, oh yeah, Mot, Mot, Mot. Oh, Mot and was Malik. At least, yeah, at least as kind of side characters. So they came in with a sort of limited polytheism where it was a much smaller group because there's like over a hundred gods in in the big set and Asherah is known to have 70 children and they didn't all make it into the the story that we have of like early Israel. It's kind of like the cast of Seinfeld where the show's named Seinfeld but then you have Elaine and Kramer and they're there to put to put the the main god into relief. Yeah, that make yeah because it was kind of an ensemble show at first. Right, exactly. Yes, uh, so this is all. This is an ensemble religion. Yeah, but over time, it started uh, kind of the Jewish religion started as a limited polytheism, but it started becoming less and less of that, and got it lost characters until it became a solo act over time. Um, mm-hmm. And one, and then one everybody of, stopped watching. Well. No, they yeah, <laughs> <just> no. <laughs> one of the first ones was that El and Yahweh kind of became consolidated. Mm-hmm. And some scholars have suggested that you can tell this is an early and fairly friendly merger because with Baal and Yahweh, there's all this contention and, and drama. But yep. with El, it's a good relationship and then it's no relationship and then they're the same character. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's a lot of interesting stuff there. Yeah. But I don't really have a timeline on how that happened or when, but... Doesn't matter. Good. Okay, good. I didn't didn't think it did. If you were to put a timeline forward, you would have gotten it wrong, which fits (laughs) in perfectly with this episode. As we've we've shown in our disparate dates for Moses. Yes. There's a, a section in Deuteronomy, and I think it's in some of the Psalms as well, and it talks about the divine counsel sort of thing. When the Most High gave to the nations their inheritance, when he separated humanity, he fixed the boundaries of his people according to the number of the divine beings. And Yahweh's portion was his people. So, this turns up in Psalms, and I think there's versions of it that turn up in Canaanite religion, where you have regional gods. Right. Um, that's very Mesopotamian, where like every god ruled over a city-state. In this Deuteronomy story... El, the Most High, El Elyon, I think his name is, or that version of him is, uh, he divides up the nations among his, you know, 70 children, maybe 71 now, because Yahweh's in the picture. Mm-hmm. And 
that's one of the more polytheistic statements. There's a lot of them kind of buried, and sometimes they're written over. The Bible is not like laid out in chronological order because, again, it's got this continual state of revision going on. Yeah, I thought that was I thought that was super interesting because I've read this before. Like I've I've read the Deuteronics, and it's like the Most High El said such and such, and then Yahweh's portion was his people. And it yeah. was like, oh, when you read it like that, it wasn't, I did this thing, and my portion is my people. It's Entity A did this thing, and Entity B was the recipient. And it's like, wait a second, we have multiple entity, ent- ent- we have multiple thingamajiggies. Yeah, mm-hmm. and that's the L that is phased out over time. <laughs> and then phased into Yahweh. Yeah, Yahweh, Yahweh takes over his stories. And I think over time, Yahweh probably starts out as kind of a young hot rod sort of thing, like Baal, like Baal's brother he is. But over time, he also becomes the, the patron-style god, the older god. Because El is kind of like, a, he's the creator and very powerful, but he's also kind of a little daughtery. He's older, and that's part of his story, too. But it's also like, Yahweh's a covenant god, so he enters into a covenant with the people, so he's Ooh. more accessible, not this kind of distant figure and that's why you know he's more involved in reward and punishment because he was a sky god he was a thunder god right el mm-hmm. was he was a lot of things oh yeah el, el was the, like the big sky god yeah okay so abraham was around like 1500 to 1200 somewhere in there uh he travels around to various points of the bible sodom jerusalem egypt all points west at an old age he, he has a son who would inherit everything he was identified as Hebrew, so maybe part of the Habiru category, I don't know. And then Moses' story is probably around like 1200-ish, we'll just say conservatively there. He's sometimes described as an Israelite in a time where his people were an enslaved minority, and that's kind of a historical ding on the story because Israel was not really a thing at the time. Maybe the Habiru were, if you kind of combine them. His story is he was raised in Egypt, does pretty well for himself, kills a guy, who is beating a Hebrew slave, and flees to Midian, which is, I think, the weird underground thing in Clive Barker's Nightbreed. And then my mythology what? is kind of confused. That is very confusing. To be, yeah. to be, let's go back, that does pretty well for himself, was adopted by an effing princess. That's not, he did well for himself. It's like... <sighs> he did very he well for good. himself. Yes. <laughs> That'll do, Moses. That'll do. Did you did you know about Moses supposedly had a speech impediment? No. Yeah. Um It's like Abraham Lincoln was high pitched and squeaky. <laughs> was he really? And led his people out of Egypt. <laughs> uh no, but um there's some discussion about how this came about. One is the story involving putting a hot coal in his mouth. Hmm. When he was an infant, and I can't remember exactly why he put the hot what? Coal in yeah, so there's that one story about the hot coal, but also it is claimed that it is because his soul came from the land of chaos called Tohu, um, and Tohu Tikkun is the Kabbalistic terms for chaos and rectification. So it's essentially like the the story of uh, Genesis, like the earth being, or you know reality being pulled from chaos but because he's his soul is of chaos his speech is uh not necessarily understood and it's otherworldly is this just kind of retconning why he asked his brother to speak for him he he says moses says that he is heavy of mouth and heavy of tongue 
Mm-hmm. Exactly. I, I don't know. That feels more like it's someone just kind of defending that they're not ready to be a prophet. I don't. I don't know. Right. Like, I'm just a. I'm just a simple caveman. I'm Your just a simple ways adoptee. And frighten me. <laughs> oh, so the coal story. I have uh, never heard the coal story. Yes. Okay. So uh, the Pharaoh thought because baby Moses like grabbed for his crown that Moses wanted to take his power. And so I think the princess that told the Pharaoh, he's just going like, he's a baby. He's just going for anything shiny. And so she put a glowing coal in front of Moses. He grabbed the coal, put it in his mouth and thus proved that he was not trying to take the, the Pharaoh's crown. I think we're in like the rabbinical writing period at this point. I think we're, I think you're absolutely right. This is incredibly rabbinical. Like, uh where they're kind of extrapolating big stories out of small bits. I just. But that's kind of our brand, isn't it? Well, it is kind of our (laughs) brand, but I think it's, it's. It's, yes. I will, I will, I will, I will come back to the, to the proper way. Well, here's the, here's the line from Exodus. But Moses said to the Lord, please, O Lord, I've never been a man of words, either in times past or now that you have spoken to your servant. I am slow of speech and slow of tongue. Mm-hmm. Which I think you could extrapolate that into all sorts of things, but it just sounds like he's just—I'm not ready for this. Yeah, I think you're right. I don't. I don't know. Anyway, he flees to Midian, where he meets a woman named Zipporah. Midian—it looks like I was kind of looking at the maps. Midian is kind of southy of the Israel-Judah complex, which is like Jewish heartland sort of area, and so it's on the south side, which is kind of kind of near where Edom is. And Edom is where Moses finds Mount Sinai and encounters Yahweh. And then I think we get to some weird kind of mythical back formation stuff, probably because later editors had to retell the story because Israel served El. We know that. But Moses found Yahweh burning in the south. And Yahweh says something along the lines of, well, they didn't know me as Yahweh, but let me tell you, that's, our, that's my name. That's uh, the name you shall know me as. Yeah, it makes sense. Yeah, because in the mountain, they find El Shaddai. Which I have a lot to, I have questions about El Shaddai. So Moses kind of travels into the very deep south, like at the very far end of the of the Alabama Peninsula. Yeah, no, I was going to say where they have. He started to order sweet tea. Yeah, no, it's like way, way down in the kind of the wedge of the Middle Eastern Peninsula. Sinai is like at the far end of everything from Israel. It's a very long journey. So, um, can you explain something to me? I'll do my best. So. When Yahweh is revealed or reveals himself to Moses in the burning, hello, <laughs> in the burning bush, it's uh, a series of consonants, the tetragrammaton. Uh huh. Okay. So, so he re- he revealed himself as this series of consonants, which later became kind of like the Hebrew Bible. This a name, or is that sort of again? Like, okay, properly, he should always, Yahweh should always be referred to in the Tetragrammaton. I thought you were going to make like a Pat Sajak reference in which like, he just like, he keeps spinning, he keeps spinning, he keeps spinning. It's like, are you sure you wouldn't want to buy a vowel? No. no I'm good. No. I'm good. hmm <laughs> God said to Moses, I am who I am. That is what you should say to the Israelites. I am who I am. hmm Okay. So, okay. So, Popeye. <laughs> Kids aren't going to get that joke. Or, I will be what I will be is another translation, which is kind of nice. I think it might have been 
Robert Anton Wilson said that God revealed himself as Popeye? <laughs> well, it's a tautology. Yeah, yeah, yeah he's 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 uh, he who makes that which has been made. He brings into existence whatever exists. So he's yeah, he's a tautology. He's you know, um, it's all I religion. What, really, a tautology. Yeah, I did what done. I did what done did. I done did it. I, mm-hmm. So if it do be, I done did it. So I was just curious about the consonants. And how they have become what we know today. The Hebrew alphabet was like maybe 900-ish or so. Derived from the Hebrew, the Phoenician alphabet in 1000. That's not a word. So uh, that's like 300 years after the fact to be able to identify Jewish letters to make up God's names. The Tetragrammaton sounds like a later story that was pasted on. Because otherwise, you'd have to admit the whole alphabet right there. Yeah, the the Proto-Hebraic alphabet I actually hadn't seen before. It looks completely different. Like, it's very angular and not geographical. Um, What's the word for math shapes? Mathematical? No, like geometry? Oh, okay. Geometrical. Uh Uh-huh, uh-huh, geometrical. Very good, very good. Okay. This may come into the Yahweh as dragon conversation, but the whole creation of the brazen serpent um like Moses was kind of a like he killed a lot of people. Moses in <laughs> the Moses in the current like we the people bible there's mm-hmm. not a lot to be said about him. But Moses in rabbinical literature there is a lot to be said like his childhood, his youth, who he slept with, who he slept with twice, who he killed. The, the Mosaic expanded universe. Has yeah, quite a lot to say. Yeah. Well, I mean, major character in the Bible where he's got Exodus and two or three books around there that he that he supposedly wrote, um, if he existed. Big if. Um, so, major player. But I was fascinated because I hadn't heard some of the stories like the whole brazen serpent thing where he called, I think, he was responsible in some, at least in part for serpents killing a lot of people. Oh. And then made a copper serpent. Yeah, that to was like, cure the people who had been killed by serpents. That was the only idol. Yes, Yah ever allowed exactly because it was a it copper was, serpent. Right. right, like he commissioned it oh, from Moses. Right, yeah, yeah, it's, yeah. But it's it's interestingly made of copper, which explains some of where Yahweh may have come from. Why? Because it's copper. So where I heard about the copper idol was in Mr. Mythos's evidence that Yahweh was a dragon video. Yes, and I is, don't know if we. I think we should talk about that right now. Let's. Okay, we 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 we've, we've gone we've gone there. Then we can come back to why copper. We'll, is we'll try and find our thread later on and, and uh-huh. utterly fail to. Yep. So part of Mr. Mythos's argument, which I assume he kind of cobbled together from other other scholars' resources was that Yahweh, or Yah, is frequently described as a creature of fire and smoke and heat. Uh, he's got fiery breath, fire comes from his nose, hot smoke comes from his nose, and he's got long nostrils. Look up Yahweh's nostrils sometime, it's kind of fun. Right, um, right. Mm-hmm. And maybe this is just a metaphor, probably it's just a metaphor. But it's also kind of interesting that this creature with, like, known to have a lot of wings, long nostrils, also is really into eating livestock and gold and virgins. 
overall, it's a very dragony picture. It's like he's smog. Yeah, yeah, really. But mm-hmm. kind of the hub of it was not so much the nostrils thing as the description of the seraphim or seraph. Yep. Mm-hmm. Which are, I think some people describe as being flaming serpents, but it's a word that means simultaneously flaming or shining and serpent. Mm-hmm. And this is one of the, like, this is kind of the classic, like, six-winged, strange-looking alien biblical angel type things. But, so this, thinking about the the brazen serpent, so, yes, it was Yahweh that killed the people with the serpents, then commissioned this idol, the only idol that he's been okay with. Moses made it, and he cured the snake bites with this idol because it's potentially in his image. Yeah, although the brazen bull mm-hmm. is also in Yahweh's image because El and Yahweh and Baal as well all had bull as their kind of totem animal and are described as the bull of heaven. I guess we just want to close the book on that chapter. Ha. Huh. I I get like how did we go all these years through Sunday school and none of us were just cheeky and said, but isn't the copper serpent an idol? And then, like, they would have just told us to shut up. I didn't hear this story. Yeah, until Ellie. the internet. Yeah, and yeah. it's, I don't think it's in the fame, I don't think it's in the movie. <laughs> I remember the- Charlton the Heston golden. plays Big Bull Dragon. <laughs> <laughs> but I remember, I remember the Golden Calf episode in the movie. Right, and, that was a big, and, and it's, uh-huh. it's really unfair to say that's a bad idol they made, because that is a legitimate image of L. So, like, mm-hmm. weren't they just celebrating L? But L does not like images of himself. But it also connects to Mesopotamia. And everybody was a bull. Every, yes, exactly. Every, we, yes, everybody was a freaking bull. They were lousy with bulls. Yeah. <laughs> and bulls and the, lions and bull lions. Exactly. And you're the, a bull. The, and you're a bull. And you're a bull. <laughs> Everybody's a, a bull. It was a bull. Um, but then it becomes associated with Moloch. Also a bull. Yes. Also a bull. And we can talk more about, there's a lot to say about Moloch in a later episode, but it involves some pretty unsavory things. Okay. Like traffic? Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And unsalted food. Oh, gross. Yeah, wow. Mm-hmm. Like, ugh. <laughs> <laughs> well, pulling us back to our kind of history, history lesson, um, uh-huh. and away from God's nostrils and whether God was a bull or a dragon. Maybe we're saying that there's not a lot of really non-Bible evidence for Moses. He's a cultural story. If he was ever, ever a person, who knows? But as a cultural story, he's really important. Like, this is definitely one of those cases where, like, everything is true in some sense. I particularly like that he traipsed all around the Holy Land, that he went really far deep into Edom and the peninsula into really a wilderness zone and brought back the mountain god El Shaddai out of the South wilderness and brought that up into Israel because, because that patches into some of the early Yahweh stories where God seems to have come from the South, from the Edom area. Like that's his origin story. L in one of these books that I cannot cite because I can't remember which one it was like L drives, drives to the South in a chariot to get Yahweh. Who's one of these kind of troublesome mountain gods, the Shaddai gods. They're all kind of thunderers. And he pulls him back up into the, the more Israel region. I, I like that story. I wish I could find it again. 
Oh, I'm sure it'll pop up again. Um, yeah, when we're in like medieval, probably. So later history, um, Israel and Judah, the two kingdoms, kind of form over about 900 to 700 BC. Uh, this is where we get the narrative of the Israelite monarchy, which was established in like 1037, beginning with Saul, after Saul, David, after David, Solomon. And these are the people that build the temple. And that kind of stands as like one of the high points of, of Jewish history until it's destroyed around about 720 when Assyria takes over. One of my friends sat down and told me a story of how Israel in the north had all of the money and all the wealth and all the population. And Judah in the south had Jerusalem. So uh, a lot of myth building takes place in Judah that's kind of more about what the temple is going to be. And a lot of the kind of wandering in the desert stories seem to take place in Israel, which maybe held on to the Canaanite myth longer than the like religious purist groups in the South did. So Solomon, who, so, so again, (laughs) probably not true, but who built Solomon's temple? Demons. Demons. So we need to have an entire episode devoted to the Testament of Solomon and yes. building of the temple by demons. Absolutely. I'm looking forward to it. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. One of the biggest names in demonology, probably because of the Egyptian influences he had. The Egyptians had a lot of mysticism based around the, the Zodiac, the procession of the deacons and such like, and he's mm-hmm. tied into that world. But that's and like, we- that's medieval. <laughs> Yes, 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 yes. But we touched on it when we were talking about Lady of Ladies of Hell because a lot of the demons all of a lot of his demon labor was provided by lady demons. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Not a lot of evidence for David or Solomon either. It's all biblical, but there is an Egyptian steel that talks about the kings of Judah who claim to be descended from David, which is not proof, but it does say kind of how far back the myth goes, like six hundred or so at least. Mm-hmm. And Solomon just looms bigger than life over all of these stories. Around 600, Egypt and Babylon are trying to fight for control over the Levant area, the like near Middle East. And Judah and Israel were kind of small things caught in this massive empire war. And around 580, Nebuchadnezzar, big name in the Bible, captures Judah and wipes the first temple off of the earth. The elites and intelligentsia and learned people and such were taken to Babylon for a very well-named period called the Babylonian Exile. This is about 50 years of like soul-searching, which generated most of the Hebrew Bible stories, which are very historically accurate and entirely unbiased against mm-hmm. Babylon. And canon. Well, there, yeah. I mean, I remember we spent a lot of time on the Old Testament when I was in vacation Bible school. There were a lot of those stories told with cardboard figures on felt yeah that's how i that's how that's my knowledge the that's the feltograms. only knowledge that has stuck with me of, of by <laughs> the old testament uh-huh so this period of the babylonian exile like 600 to 550 ish or so is like the major time for scholars of the period to look back and say here's who we were and here's the story of how we got to where we are which is not a great place to be mm. and so this goes back to your not revisionist, reflective history. Right. Well, this is like mm-hmm. like when literature was starting to be consolidated into what would become the Torah. Mm-hmm. So there was, yeah. So all these stories become kind of edited into a grand narrative 
starting here, and that kind of continues over time. Can I tell you another word I learned? Sure. This is all about me learning words. Anaconic. Against icons. Yes. Okay. And it's not anaconda, even though we were on kind of a serpent kick, but it means that the god is not depicted by a statue or other image. So that explains the steels and standing stones and things of that nature. Right. Like any representation of El or Yahweh is probably outside of the Israel culture, which Mm -hmm. is one of the reasons I think the Ugaritic area is kind of important because that was like late representations of El. I have to study up on Ugarites, and I, I'm, I'm a little lost on them. I Yeah, I kind of skimmed over that because I thought, I'm, I'm, in a week, I'm not going to learn. <laughs> Why <Yeah>. bother learning? <laughs> I'm just going to like write down words, new I words. won't get this, so I'll get yeah. mm-hmm. So here's a question, and this kind of goes back to the dragon, Yahweh being a dragon. But part of this whole anaconic thing refers to the empty throne on the Ark of the Covenant as well. Uh, what was it? That was like his footstool, I think, too. Yeah. Like that's and where so God's to, feet were. Mm-hmm. And so you have the cherubim on Chair, the Ark of the Covenant. Cherubim. Ch- oh, snap. But uh Well they are the throne they are the throne angels, so like maybe not li- the throne like <laughs> No. <laughs> no W. Uh-huh. They're not like yeah. But there's also the thing again in uh what is his name Mr. Mythos yeah Mr. 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 Man about Yahweh as dragon it talks a lot about the tabernacle and how you never see what's inside the what's right, happening right because that's where smog is yeah you have you have curtains up and the sacrifices of the virgins and the gold and the whatnot and what does Yahweh do with virgins and gold unknown unknown at this time. Well, the virgins, he does, they don't bring the virgin into the temple so much, but like those are part of the things that are captured during battle or captured in the name of Yahweh. Mm-hmm. I don't think I should call virgins things that are captured. Um, no. It seems a little insensitive. <laughs> really, really, really does. <laughs> well, I, I read a lot, uh, like in, a, in, a, in three days, I binge read uh, God and Anatomy, and it's by Francesca Savracopolo. You've mentioned her before. It was an amazing book. Uh, she I need kind to read of it. looks at the history of Yah and El as if they were biological creatures. I mean, it's not like Gray's Anatomy for Gods, but she <gasps> spends a lot of time on God's feet and how the tabernacle and the ark were seen as kind of God's footstool on the world. And I really that like sounds, that a lot. That sounds super cool. I need to read that. And the first thing that popped into my head. Is that color the anatomy coloring book that everybody uses in anatomy class in medical school and mm-hmm. nursing school? How long are the nostrils? Yes, exactly. Like we need a, a God coloring book. One of Francesca's big theses in this book, uh, besides that God used to be quite corporeal and earthy, like if you talk about a transcendent God that we can't see or touch anymore, that is like so not the God of the Bible, she says, because she says that God begins very earthy he is a he's like l he's a creature that has a wife has children there's some loving descriptions of his of his penis um he has wings Wait, hold, hold up hold up so this I is i will not be taking questions <laughs> because you'd so, get them wrong anyway so we'll have to put a warning on the coloring book <laughs> but i think you can't just throw that out there i can i will but i will also say that she has at least two pages on whether or not God was circumcised. Okay. All right. 
All right. Again, why? Why would God need to be circumcised? Again, that goes back to a tautology, right? Like, I don't know. Well, like, wouldn't so he just have- actually, L was circumcised in an earlier myth, and okay. it was to make him more. It would make him more virile to uh, Asherah, and so they could go on to have seventy more kids. A fun fact about Asherah. She's described as a lioness, and sometimes her 70-plus kids are described as her pride. I really like that. Oh, kitties. So anyway, Francesca's Kitty. kind of story is that God starts very corporeal, but over time, as the pantheon starts getting smaller, God is, is abstracted away. So he's no longer something you can go and hang out with, clean his feet or whatever. Yeah, he's not, mm-hmm. he's not a guy. He's not a thing. He's an abstract. And part of that is maybe because the temple was destroyed. And it became more important to have a god that was not specifically there. If you describe Mesopotamian Canaanite worship, gods were very there. They were like on little chairs, and they were kind of gold, and you could parade them around. I, I have in my image kind of like the, the need to have a smaller pantheon was driven by trying to keep the temple clean and have it make sense. Like, oh, we've got all these things cluttering up our temple. Mm-hmm. Let's go down to three. It's easier. We don't have anything all these gods. Uh, then they kind of went down to one, and they said... Hey, I've got an idea. Let's make a god that doesn't want to be seen ever so we can get rid of the statue. <laughs> Although there was almost certainly a statue of Yah in the temple in Jerusalem. I, so are there mint and package gods? What's that? <laughs> <laughs> like for collectibles, like mint and package? Oh, so, mint, you know, like mint you have, and package. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh-huh. Never removed from Ark. Uh-huh. So occasionally, like some of these gods wound up going to goodwill let's say and then the you know younger gods or the worshippers getting angry that mom cleared out the temple hmm see i thought i thought it was the exact opposite in which you have a society of shepherds and it's like all right guys we got to sacrifice a goat to every god it's your turn jim mm. and he's like man i've only <laughs> got three left what if we right. just picked our favorite three and sacrificed the goats to them? It's legitimately, it was expensive because, like high holy days, there was a lot of slaughter. <laughs> yep. And I mean, mm-hmm. c- cutting down on the number of gods probably helps, but getting rid of the idea that God needs to eat things also mm. helps somewhat. Uh, eventually, he just kind of partakes of the smell of things through his long nostrils, presumably. <laughs> <laughs> but this goes back to, and we could talk more the about better this with to Moloch. smell you with, my dear. Yeah, because. Part of Solomon's downfall was that he did not give a pra- proper sacrifice. Like he sacrificed a locust instead of a proper goat. What? Hmm. Solomon? Mm-hmm. I thought his I thought his downfall was that he slept with everybody. Well, you know, little from column A, little from column B. Um, yes, I like your idea about the gods, about how cleaning cleaning house with the gods. Yeah may not be accurate, but it works for me as an image. Mm-hmm. Like. So, from about 538, the Persians had taken over from Babylon, and they were seemed to be fairly positive towards the Jews, and gave or loaned them a lot of financing to rebuild their temple, which is kind of cool. And the Torah was written during that period, uh, 538 to 332. 332, Alexander the Great defeats everybody, uh, but particularly Persia. And there was a lot more Greek influence in the area, but Jews had a very solid presence in scholarship in the area, and 
they seem to be a pretty major part of like Greek culture and kind of respected during this period. But after about 100, there was some internal fighting, which involved uh, extensive Maccabees, I understand. Oh, the Maccabees. Yeah. And briefly, the Jews had an independent kingdom, but some people wanted the kingdom to be a theocracy. So when Rome had taken over, they sent some very stern letters asking Rome to make this a theocracy, and Rome stomped everybody into the ground. Okay. Uh, and that was about 63 BC, which was very close to when we started getting um, this kind of apocalyptic image of the things to come, and very soon the Messiah, and very soon someone that a large group of people identified as the Messiah, and so on. And so on. That whole Jesus and so thing. On. So I have questions. I just have to think of my questions. I can't mm. think of my questions. Mm. At some point, do we need to talk about the Maccabees? Because I don't really understand. I'm not ready the for them yet. Okay. Going back to circumcision. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I, have one, I have another question. Sure. So, but Abraham was the first to actually perform a circumcision. Like he circumcised himself and then his son. So, was that, again, like, is that apocryphal? Is that like, did we just kind of write in the whole thing about God? I think the idea Yahweh. of Abraham inventing circumcision and circumcising himself is older than Abraham. Uh, okay. I'm just Googling for it. The Egyptians did it in the 23rd century BC. In God and Anatomy, Francesca talks about uh, how El was circumcised because that made him better in bed. Right. And the virility ritual aspect of this, of like making the, the penis look more aroused and constantly aroused, was um, a, a, a sign of hot manly thing. So God demanding that Israel's penises became more exciting and penis-like, there are ritual elements that predate Abraham. Okay, okay. I'm clear, clearer on it. This will give me something really fun to talk about in the show notes. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. So thinking more about Yahweh and where the whole idea of Yahweh came from and why, why Yahweh kind of took precedent. I think there's a lot of mystery surrounding who Yahweh was and where he came from. There's the idea that you hinted at that he was a metallurgy god from the south. Mm-hmm. But he was a bit player and like didn't really surface until like 700-ish or maybe 800-ish. So some thoughts were he was, he was borrowed from the Midian, Edom, southern region and brought Northy into Israel as an outside god that, that somehow gained importance in this narrative. Mm -hmm. So as part of this like becoming... Like as kind of more of a more of a metal god of metallurgy and kind of a more of a god of warfare, as those things started to become more important, is that why he kind of supplanted potentially supplanted other gods? You're talking like literally Iron Age to Bronze Age to Yep to uh -huh. Serpent Age. Yes. Huh. Uh huh. Plastic so the age, age of plastics, yeah. yes. <laughs> well, that's I, that's I, logical. I I don't know, like the historiosity of any of this. 
So I was reading a book called Ancient Near Eastern Thought and the Old Testament by mm-hmm. John H. Walton. And he talks a lot about what makes Yahweh unique. And this okay. is kind of tied into the idea of a covenantal God that we talked about earlier. Yep. And I loved this. What he points out is that um, all of the gods of Mesopotamia and Canaan, you, you could worship them. The people had ways of servicing them. You know, you take the god up to its bedroom on top of the ziggurat. They actually had a bedroom on top of the ziggurat. And you wash it and you give it, you, you give it foot massages or something and uh, read a story with his name in it on every other page and cookies and milk, all these things. Mm-hmm. There's like a huge list of ways you treat a god right good forever. Mm-hmm. Um, but the god never asked for them. They're just people kind of feeling it out. And you know a god is happy because you're having a good day. And God is unhappy because your life turns to crap and there's plagues and mm-hmm, your sons mm-hmm. die and there are boils on your cattle's butts. I don't know. And there's locusts eating your crops. But with over 150 gods it, and no one actually making specific demands, it's very hard to know what to do. So Walton cites this really amazing prayer. It's a prayer to every god. <laughs> This seems like a Reader's Digest situation. No, it's it's this is amazing. I mean, ima- imagine that your 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 child just died, and uh-huh. someone's raised taxes, and they're not offering the McRib anymore. <laughs> yeah, or a shamrock shake. Yeah. So this is the prayer to every god. Uh, mm-hmm. I would constantly seek help, but no one would help me. I cried, but they did not approach me. I would give a lament, but no one would hear me. I am distressed. Mm-hmm. I'm alone. I cannot see. Humanity is deaf and does not know anything. Humanity, by whatever name, does not know whether a person does wrong or good or is ignorant. That sounds very Job. Yeah. Yeah. I wish I knew these things that were pleasing to one's God. What is proper to oneself is an offense to one's God. What in one's one's own heart seems despicable is proper to one's God. Who knows the will of the God in heaven? Who understands the plans of the underworld gods? Where have mortals learnt the ways of the gods? So, So, what he's talking here is... The people are lost, and they're just kind of flailing to see what would make any of these gods happy. And, like, who am I praying to? I don't even know what god I pissed off to make my life so terrible. I would mm-hmm. offer sacrifices to that god if that god would tell me who they were hmm. and what they want for a sacrifice. But I don't have either of those things, so I'm just going to flail. So when you look at Yahweh, even in his strange, abstracted form, he's a technology. Mm. Technologies mm-hmm. provide technologies or tools that we use to shape our environment. The technology that Yahweh is is there is one God, and that makes the monotheism or at least narrowing the pantheon much more appealing. And we know what he wants. He wants to be worshipped first, no graven images, the Ten Commandments. So the ways to serve God are right there. So a lot of these flailing and lost questions, they're they're consolidated. They're reduced. You know who is responsible for it, whatever it is. You mm-hmm. know the ways you could have made him mad. And, you know, maybe we don't know exactly what we did, but we know that it was probably something about a graven image or something like that. So from this nebulous cry to a world that cannot respond, Yahweh is so much more appealing as a creature of covenant and law. He helps you understand your relationship to the universe much better than the hundreds of gods did before. I thought that was amazing. You said the word technology. Mm -hmm. 
and like it clicked because you have a multiple instruction set computer and a reduced instruction set computer and all of a sudden you have a me which is a reduced instruction set me yeah and yeah. it's like the difference between pc and mac in pc you can click you can middle click and you can right click but a mac only has one button mm-hmm. yeah it's greatly simplified and technology it's tools. It's tools to yeah. understand our world and to control our world. And this is a tool set. It's a me. It's a divine. Yeah. It's a philosophical tool set. Yeah, the me's were the tools we needed to understand civilization and culture. And so having only one, yeah, it's a reduced instruction set me. Ba- backtrack to our callback to our Mesopotamian episodes. A me is like a divine concept of some element of civilization, like makeup or temple prostitution or waging war or whatever when to sow when to harvest right they wrote it down mm-hmm. you know early to bed early to rise yeah, yeah. <laughs> so uh going back to moses for a moment just looking at uh stories like uh 40 days and 40 nights where moses is in the wilderness which sometimes is described as a journey to the underworld okay which is interesting um but he comes there's some mathematical confusion <sighs> about what a 40-day period actually is like, is it 40 mornings? Is it 40 nights, etc.? He comes back and allegedly there, there's the golden calf. Everybody's kind of gone back into chaos because he didn't come back. And so they're like, well, okay, let's go back to what we know. And there's some sense of, you know, like, okay, or some some controversy as to whether he saw... Like the punishment should be on them because they failed to, you know, hold it together long enough for him to come back. Or was it on him? I want to call shenanigans on this entire scene. Because he took so long. Moses takes a bunch of Canaanites into the wilderness. Mm -hmm. Canaanites who have a set of gods that may or may not include Yahweh or El. We don't know yet. Mm -hmm. We don't know. But they're probably Mm Elist. And he says, I'm going to leave you here. I'm going to go talk to God. And you do, right, uh-huh. you in, in Mesopotamian, in Canaanite religion, you talk to gods in the high places. So the mountain is a really good oh, place. Oh, so that's right. He goes to, uh-huh. so he goes yeah. to the high places to, to talk to God. Up in the high places, God says, hey, um, here's the law. Number one, don't make any images of me. <laughs> number two, maybe number, number one is love me. Number two, no images of me. So mm-hmm. Moses goes down, sees that the people have made an image of God as they understand it, which is a brazen bull. Totally mm-hmm. legit. Yeah. As an yeah. image of El, a bull. As an image mm-hmm. of Yahweh, a bull. As an image of Baal, who is in their pantheon and is God's brother or son. Mm-hmm. Totally mm-hmm. legit. And then he freaks out. It's like, y'all, y'all are violating God's law. And everybody turns to Moses and said, Moses, Moses, you didn't give it to us. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You I mean like this brand story. new law, which you just found in a bush? This yeah, law, yeah. which you didn't tell us about yet? Maybe God could have come here and said that before throwing a hissy fit. And then he broke the he broke the uh, tablet. Well, that's just tacky. But there's some controversy about that, too. Like, oh. did he break that so that they actually didn't break any laws and therefore would not be punished? Oh, I like because, that. That's oh. better. Mm-hmm. Oh. Hmm. Yeah, so it's kind of like, okay. Oops. You know, let's just pretend this whole thing Crash, tinkle, tinkle. <laughs> didn't happen. Oops, I tripped. Yeah, you guys can't break a law that doesn't really exist, so. That's a much better story. I'm, I'm digging on that one. I like that story a lot, because it's a of, lot more human. <laughs> it also plays into <laughs> Moses as trickster, which turns up occasionally. Right, yeah, yeah. 
Uh-huh. Because it's kind of like, okay, guys, let's just let's just keep this on the down low. Um, so I, I like that part of the story or that interpretation of the story. Shall we talk about Ashra for a while? Okay. Yeah. Okay. Uh-huh. Yeah. Question one. Yes. Was Ashra circumcised? No. Ashra was a lady person or a tree or a pole. <laughs> uh-huh. Uh-huh. Yeah, or something found in the sea. Or or something found in the sea. That's like true. She, I've forgotten that. Uh-huh. She and her sister. Oh. Or, uh, uh-huh. They became the first wives of El. Yeah. Uh, there's a lot of question marks around Ashra. Argument one is that she's was El's consort um, and the mother of El and El's 70 kids. Well, probably mm-hmm. some of El's 70 kids. Gods get around a little bit. Dusk and dawn. Yeah. And she was represented by, like, a sacred tree or a serpent. Now, what other female is strongly associated with a serpent and a sacred tree? Oh, 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 oh. Yes. Lilith. Not where I was going, but sure. I was going for Eve. Totally different character. Totally different character. Similar, similar, yeah. No no, no no synchronicity at all. Uh Uh-huh. Synchronicity. Synchronicity. Anyway. So theory one is that she was El's consort and wife, and then Yahweh inherited her as consort and wife when Yahweh kind of ate El. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Theory two is that the Ashra is kind of a catch-all name for goddesses, and there's a lot of descriptions of like El and his Ashra, Yahweh and his Ashra, and maybe this is just the goddess they were associated with, but also it became kind of sacred tree, sacred grove, or just cult worship object, so like El and his sacred tree, El and his pole. That's probably like later in the abstractification of Yah that we, we mm-hmm. get later on or towards zero. I don't sacred know. pole just does not have the same resonance as a sacred tree. You're right. Just, I, I kind mm-hmm. of am with, I'm with you there. <laughs> but I, I guess that's where we get the Festivus pole from. Right, right, right. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm, yeah. I don't think it was ever like Asherah as sacred pole, but like pole was the tree. Maybe, mm. maybe you hung things on it. I don't know. <laughs> slid down it yeah on occasion but she she pulls in kind of mm-hmm. aspects of ishtar a little bit kind of the mother goddess sort of thing she's sort of an everything mother um mm-hmm. there's a really good article on her in the jewish women's archive which will definitely, oh. definitely link to that okay um, that sounds cool i think kind of fundamentally like ashram is a generic name for goddesses in the same way that baal is a generic name for gods mm. So I don't know where you are in the cycle of naming things and abstracting them and naming them again. Hmm. So where does QOS Quas Kos fit in? Quas. Well, I'm glad you asked Quas. that. Quas. Uh-huh. What? Quas is a southern god from far down the Sinai Peninsula, maybe. He's one of the Shaddai gods. This is a cluster oh. of gods that uh-huh. was kind of in the southie area. Um, among other things, I, I'm, I'm a little lost on the Shaddai gods. I want to know more about them. They sound really interesting, but there's just not a lot there. But the Shaddai gods were like a cluster of mountainy gods in the south area of Edom, so way south of Israel. Sometimes they were weather gods. Sometimes they were mountain gods. Sometimes they were goddesses. I don't know. Shaddai might be a, a mountain mother goddess sort of thing. It's mm-hmm. hard to say. But Quas was one of them, and he has aspects of El. Um, mm-hmm. He kind of feels like like the El from down there. And all these gods are kind of 
sometimes separate, but sometimes they kind of bleed into each other. I don't know. But Quas was kind of the, a Southy version of El and the national god of Edom. Mm-hmm. Edom is, so I want to, I'm going to go into one of my favorite Bible verses right now because it is one of my favorites. So one of my favorite verses or chunks of Bible is um, Isaiah's prophecy against Edom or the fall of Edom. And this is again written in kind of the 500 to 300 area around the time that Persia came in or that Babylon came in and stomped Edom flat. For the Lord has a day of vengeance, a time of paying back Edom for its hostility against Zion. Eden streams will turn into pitch, her soil into sulfur, her land will become burning pitch. Hey, burning pitch. That comes up later in our story, I'm sure. Uh, mm-hmm. It will never go out day or night. Its smoke will go up forever. It will be desolate from generation to generation. No one will pass through it forever and ever. The desert owl and the screech owl will possess it, and the great owl and the raven will dwell there. Uh, sometimes those words are Lilith instead of owl. Right. And mm-hmm. the Lord will stretch right. out a measuring line and a plumb line over her destruction and chaos. Her palaces will be overgrown with thorns. Her fortified cities with thistles and briars. She'll become a dwelling for jackals, an abode for ostriches. The desert creatures will meet hyenas, and one wild goat will call to another. Sometimes that's the goat demons will call to one another, the Shedim. Oh, yes. The satyrs. I'm excited about them. And Lilith will settle there and find herself a place of rest. And I love, I've said this before, I know this. I love that there's all these dark wilderness spirits, wilderness demons, really. But also there's this kind of sense of like family and laying eggs together and nesting together and like this kind of lost desert community. But that's all Edom. And there's ties to the Shedim demons there and to Lilith, who's kind of the female version of same there. And this is all part of Edom's story. The Shaddai gods, uh, that's where the word El Shaddai, uh, or God of the Mountain, comes from. Another name for, for Yah. But also, there's clearly an etymological link between Shaddai and Shedim. Um, and it sounds like Shedim is really a word for spirits. And I can't find this. It's one more source I can't find. But one of the people I was reading says that there was like a sort of a dusty realm of like foreign gods in Edom. And that was kind of where the foreign gods went to live or the foreign spirits or the Shedim demons. The, the word Shedim means either spirits or demons if you add the word evil before it. So evil spirits. And mm. I love, really love the idea that maybe Yahweh was a wilderness god like, like Azazel, like a lot of these demons that was kind of brought from Edom upwards and north and kind of gained gain name and gained power and became Yah, mm-hmm. but still has this tie to this, this almost like lost land of, of foreign gods. It's just really neat to me. Just I don't have the research chops to find out more. <laughs> I kind of like that it sounds almost like this kind of uh, off-the-grid desert community, like everybody's kind of com- com- communal living yeah. with some kind of hodgepodge of trailers. But for wilderness and- spirits. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like, this, this, is a, this is a movie that could write itself. But, um, but Qu- Quas was one of the Shaddai gods, and actually in the list of Shaddai gods, there are two Yahwehs, so that's kind of interesting. Ooh. Well, it's funny, because uh, <laughs> one of the things I read argued that Quas was the same as El and Yahweh, because Doug, the Edomite, was willing to worship either. Yeah. Yeah, Bob, 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 Bob Edomite. <laughs> 
But it is, there's a real Doug the Edomite. Another odd connection to the Edomite gods and the Shaddai mm-hmm. gods is that besides being god of the mountains or mountain dweller, there's also the god with breasts is another uh, name for Shaddai or El Shaddai. Gasp. So maybe this is a consort. Maybe this is a female aspect of like the nurturing Yahweh. Hmm. Okay. Yeah, I like that. Interesting. Okay. And what about Baal? What about Baal? 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 Baal. Different from Baal the demon. Well, yes and no. Or? Is he or is he not? He's, I mean, he started off as Yah's brother mm-hmm. and um, one of the children of El and presumably Asherah. Um, he's also, I mean, Baal is kind of a generic name for like God or chief or whatever. But he definitely becomes a named thing, particularly in Canaanite mythos, particularly, particularly in the Ugarit texts, which really kind of fleshes out the Baal cycle. It describes Baal dying, coming back from the dead. I mean, probably stole that from somewhere else. Killing Tiamat, or being eaten by Tiamat, I forget which. Facing Mot, going into the underworld. Again, not that Jesus did that later on. All these myths kind of steal from each other just blatantly. But he was, I mean, he was a lively god with his own, like, story. And another child of El. And early on, the Israelites were, you know, had him as part of their pantheon. Because he's like one of the top four uh, Canaanite gods, like El, Asherah. Baal and like the mother goddess and probably Ishtar, who might or may not have been the mother goddess, depending on what day of the week it was. So he was part of the pantheon. And then kind of as El and Yahweh merged, they also kind of drew from his mythos as well. And Yah kind of ate some of that mythos. But later on, like Baal is like enemy number one for El. So like, I guess they're fighting over the inheritance or something. Mm. There's a kind of fertility an earth um, seasonal cycle with Baal too and Mott as they battle when he's vanquished by Mott, there's seven years of drought and famine, but if he wins then there's seven years of fertility. So that goes back to previous Deja vu. Uh, stories. Yeah. 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 And a little Persephone mm-hmm. in there too. But there's also something about how Baal became anathema to the Israelites was uh, due to Jezebel um, you, Jezebel was, Je- yeah, Jezebel was a Baal worshiper. Mm-hmm. And I think that that was in like the 350 period or so. Um, probably during it when they were really trying yeah. to consolidate worship. And I remember something about her family really pushing for more inclusion of the Canaanite gods mm-hmm. and the, the temple, like the budding kind of mono. Well, the, the budding theocracy not liking that at all, um, and yeah. that kind of demonizing her for that. Ooh, can I say one interesting thing about the Shadim? If you can say anything more coherent about Jezebel, that'd be good, because I was flailing there. Oh, okay. Joan Jett, uh, great song. <laughs> but there was one other interesting thing about the Shadim that I forgot to say, but... um yeah, it's just, it's essentially what you said that uh, her she was trying to introduce into Israel her Phoenician cult of Baal, um, and that was in opposition to the official worship of Yahweh. This is cited in King First Kings 18, um, but uh, by the time of Hosea, which is the mid-8th century BCE, the antagonism to Baal was so strong that the use of the term was often replaced by Basha, 
which means shame. Hmm. This, this plays into a lot the kind of like ongoing revision of the Torah and such, because I think this happened after the Babylonian exile, and one 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 thing that's kind of subtexted throughout all of the Bible is that there's the like the core priestly caste that like the Jerusalem sec, um the Jerusalem faction that's trying to create a a, a strong myth for the region the nation of Israel mm-hmm. and at the same time the truth is that Israel is a lot of cultures kind of merged together and they are becoming the national cult but but it takes a long time and maybe it requires the strong central temple of Jerusalem for them to kind of build their reputation and their their culture mm-hmm. but like at the same time, there's this smaller minority group, you know, one or two tribes out of twelve that are trying to build like this legacy that will be like the the Yahwistic faith forever, and it's not the faith of Israel for a while yet. So mm-hmm. the stories conflict. People that are probably perfectly legitimate Canaanite worshippers, maybe even Israelite worshippers, like like Jezebel, just have a different agenda and a different like approach to religion that is like by the people writing history, not what they want in their history. Well, it's interesting because I just picked up on something that we keep talking about. And this is what we got from the sources we looked at, that these are national gods. Right. So there's a nationalist agenda. Right. We've used that phrase to, a lot, To religion or to what god you ascribe to. And so anything that seems kind of anti-nationalist or kind of goes against that image of the nation that you're trying to put forth is anathema. So then you try to dis- discredit that cult or that god. Jezebel was apparently like 900 BC, so I was way off of my dating there. Oh, well, but yeah, so that adds a whole other layer of interest to this. But also, who else? who else is related to Baal? It's somebody that we've only touched on in the past. Lilith. Not... <laughs> Seth, Seth, the god Seth is well, maybe, but also Beelzebub. Well, he was a ball. He was a ball. Uh huh. Yeah. But there were but a lot of there were a lot of balls. But there's a lot of balls in the air here. Yeah. But he was just mentioned in one of the sources that I read because he occurs in the second book of Kings, and he is the name of the Philistine god of Ekron. Hmm. But yeah, so I don't know. That's just uh, kind of comes into this whole idea of discrediting, yeah, yeah, potentially a god um, in favor of your god. It's like the power of editors over an entire culture. It's kind of amazing. And who writes history? Who writes your religious texts? Yeah. Um. But yeah. So this is going to be the first of five, maybe six episodes on. Uh, Judaism, first temple, second temple, up to like zero. I don't know how they knew they were counting down to zero, but they did. You know, actually, that's a joke, but it almost feels like they were counting down to zero during like <laughs> 200 or so. Next, I think we'll be talking on. Next, we're talking about Eden, maybe Job, and some kind of early Satan figures. Are we going to talk about the Watcher Angels? <gasps> I think the Could Watchers are going to get their own episode, and I have been waiting for that for so long. Okay. All right, so we'll save those for another, yeah, another time. And then, All right, and then okay. the afterlife itself. Um, finally, getting to hell after Woo! two years of talking about hell. 
Mm-hmm. And then demons and baddies and fun stories and myths. And then maybe Satan? Maybe Satan. Maybe Satan. Okay. Although uh, sometimes I think he's off topic. Uh, I kid. I kid. I kid. I, I kid. Never mind. We've done a lot of work on Satan. We need to use our research. <laughs> Fair. We've already done the research. Uh-huh. So that covers us until I think almost the summer. Uh, the summer so of Sumer? I would say March. March. Maybe March. Mm-hmm. So until then, we will see you in hell. Bye-bye. Bye. This podcast is copyright 2023 by The Dispatchist and is Creative Commons. You're welcome to reuse with attribution. Look for us on your favorite podcast app. Say hi to us on Twitter or Gmail at The Dispatchist, no spaces. Check out our website, dispatch.ist, for episodes, show notes, and a variety of hellish resources. 